Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSPS Radio Hour. We're pleased today to have with us Mr. Denny DeMeyer and Mr. John Thaliker, who are going to talk with us about an upcoming event uh, tied with the Surveyor's Rendezvous for the Surveyor's Historical Society. And, and I guess, Denny and John, the best way for me to describe this is yet another grand adventure. Um, Denny, as many of the listeners will remember, has been on the show with me before, both before and after uh, a great adventure he and a lot of other people undertook several years ago in celebration of, of David Thompson. And that was an amazing feat. Um, and by the way, and speaking of great adventures, I would be remiss if I didn't start the show by making a plug for the National Society of Professional Surveyors Foundation um, cruise drawing that they're doing soon. There's still plenty of tickets left, so everybody should go ahead and purchase one because you got a great opportunity to uh, to win this thing. It's $100 per ticket, and there's three options. One is for a seven-night Alaskan Southern Cru- Glacier cruise. One is for a seven-night Danube cruise along the river. And then the other one is a seven-night Mediterranean cruise in Italy, France, and Spain. The winner can choose which of those they want. So, uh, John and Denny, I, if you guys haven't bought your tickets yet, knowing that you like adventure so much, and these are all on the water, and you seem to like water a lot, so maybe you guys better dig in deep and start buying some tickets for that thing. I don't know. But but anyway, welcome to the show, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's, it's great to have you both with me again, and just... For for the audience uh, perspective on all this, I've known these guys for a long time. But John actually longer than Denny, and John was one of the stalwarts in NSPS when I was a pup. Uh, that's not to say John's a whole lot older than I am, but I guess I started out being a pup late in life. But um, anyway, John has been a great influence on my participation in NSPS through the years, and actually inspired me to to want to be a bigger part of the organization uh, even uh, further than I had gone at the time within the, what was in the NSPS governor. So, John, all the havoc I have wreaked on NSPS and the profession over the last several years is largely due to you. I'm uh, at least uh, responsible for something. <laughs> uh, John lives out in Friday Harbor in, in uh, Washington, which is on San Juan Island, lovely place. Um, and and I'm I'm understanding that part of the activities for what we're going to talk about today are going to take place on the island or start from the island. Is that right, John? Uh, that's correct. Uh, Friday morning we'll be um, boarding a Washington State Ferry. We have buses all lined up to come over to the island for the day, and uh, we'll have um, two international boundary commissioners that will be along with us. The San Juan Islands actually are composed of about 172 islands that lie between um, the mainland and uh, basically uh, Vancouver Island, where it's all salt water, but it's inland. It isn't right out in the Pacific. And we'll be just coming to San Juan, which is uh, the second largest island, uh, uh, it's the only incorporated town is Friday Harbor in the county. And uh, we have a uh, national park here um, that's known as Pig War Park. 
and that's part of uh, the story on the international boundary, which is basically uh, the theme. So the west boundary of San Juan Island and a number of the other islands is the international boundary. Um, San Juan Island was closer to uh, Vancouver Island than it is to the mainland. Well, and and Denny, uh, maybe remind our audience a little bit about your your background and and where you fit geographically as well as within the overall planning for this and so many other adventures. Okay, well, I'm a member of the Surveyors Historical Society and a longtime member of the LSAW, Land Surveyors Association of Washington's Historical Society. My wife and I, our passion is to uh, kind of celebrate historical surveying centennial or events. And uh, the uh, I know the survey, our focus of the rendezvous is the is the uh, surveys and surveyors of the Salish Sea, which is basically the the Gulf and San Juan Islands uh, in Canada and the United States, uh, and then the International Boundary Surveys. There's actually two portions there. Uh, there's the land portion uh, from the summit of the Rocky Mountains of the Gulf of Georgia, and then there's the water boundary from the Gulf of Georgia that was supposedly to run through the main channel, uh, separating the uh, islands from the mainland and then out to the Pacific Ocean and the, there was disagreement early on and where that was and it almost uh, started a war and that was another one of the, the focuses that we've got is um, the, the pig war and that's hence the, the journey to uh, San Juan Island on Friday. Yeah, this this one seems um, well, I don't know, it's not really different, I don't guess in, in terms of the the whole uh, purpose of the of the program, but it it is a little different because your last your last one when you did the David Thompson one was a a really lengthy effort, if I recall. Yes, that was <laughs> that was a six week, eleven hundred mile uh, vo- uh, trip by Voyager canoe, twenty five foot Voyager canoes, and yeah, much much longer. Uh, it was. Uh, Took quite a bit more. I was going to say quite a bit more planning, Kurt. But actually, um, this rendezvous uh, has has really taken a lot of planning and a lot of time to prepare. Uh, also, but I think the the results are are worth it. Now, did the did the idea for this particular one come about as a a Surveyors Historical Society activity to begin with, or was there a plan that sort of got melded together somehow? Well, we, uh, I talked to uh, our committee members, uh, John Thalaker and uh, Tim Kent, and two uh, Canadian uh, friends, about hosting a rendezvous. Just quickly on the background of rendezvous, you have to candidate for them, uh, the Surveyors Historical Society rendezvous. They're held across the nation, but almost exclusively on the East Coast. So uh, we've always wanted uh, to host yet another uh, rendezvous on the west uh, coast. Uh, in 2005, we hosted one in Spokane, um, and that was surrounding uh, David Thompson's activities in that area. But I, I've been working on the international boundary to history. That's my passion uh, since 1986, and I've got all this information that I've been dying to get out, and 
uh, wanted to write about it and things like that. And I thought, well, what better way to uh, you know get a lot of this information out uh, to the uh, Surveyors Historical Society and other um, uh, societies uh, than at the host a rendezvous. And we've got such a beautiful place uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. We've got a, just a dynamite uh, hotel uh, conference center that we're hosting it at, and we've got such a variety of uh, topics that I'm sure we're going to go over later. But it was just everything kind of fit together, and so we candidated to the SHS uh, for the 2015 rendezvous, and we were awarded it uh, last year. Now, is the is the 2015 date uh, specifically significant to any or all of the the events you're celebrating, or is it just you chose this date because it was a good time? It was. We chose it mostly because it was a good time. Uh, a lot of times, I do try to. Uh, my wife and I, Dolores, try to focus these uh, these commemorations on a particular anniversary. But um, yeah, it just didn't fit. But the, we wanted to host uh, a rendezvous. And uh, 2015 was as good as any. Um, so I guess to answer your question, no, it, it isn't significant in any. Uh, there, there is no anniversary of the International Boundary Survey, either the water portion or the land portion. And as, a, as an aside, by the way, you mentioned our buddy Tim Kent. He, he suggested that I should ask you how you survived the Thompson trip and how you're going to survive this one without being a fan of seafood or salmon. <laughs> he never misses a shot. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I just personally can't see how anybody can put dead marine life in their mouth. But that's <laughs> well, The one thing we are uh, and have really spent a lot of time uh, developing is uh, people doing things and also uh, some what I believe are going to be outstanding uh, menus for everybody so that uh, this is from my perspective I've gone to an awful lot of conventions and meetings and seminars over the last 50 or 60 years and uh, I always uh, look forward to uh, going to the seminars and sort of wondering about uh, what I'm going to get fed. Well, this one you're not going to have to worry about. We've got it handled. <laughs> so you, you, you're going to accommodate all the guests, including including Denny? Yeah, we, uh, amazingly, uh, we had a menu selection on uh, Friday where to be over here at the island, and um, so we're going to barbecue salmon and uh, have... Uh, Dungeness crab. Denny uh, just does not um, go with seafood, so uh, we said, "Well, we'll have some ham." And amazingly, there's more than Denny that have uh, decided that uh, they're going to have ham for dinner. Which <laughs> what people from Kentucky or Virginia? Well, that could certainly make sense, being a, a Virginian. I could I could understand. Although we are are uh, not picky here in Virginia, we eat seafood and fish and ham and turkey and I guess pretty much anything that moves um, or it seems that way sometime at least in the part of the state I grew up in 
but um, we're a minute or so away from our first break. So I, I wanted to spend the time to let folks get to know you guys a little bit. We can do that more when we come back. And I, I really want to spend some time and give you enough time, really, to focus on the activities that are going to occur and what they're going to celebrate. I mean, when I look down the list of all of the things that are part of this program, it's just almost mind-boggling the number of activities that that are going to happen and the underlying reasons behind them. And maybe, Danny, when we come back, you, you mentioned the, am I pronouncing the Salish Sea, is that correct? Yes. You mentioned that earlier. Yes. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Uh, when when you mentioned the Gulf, by the way, earlier, of course, here on the East Coast, we don't think there's any other Gulfs but the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> but but <laughs> uh, nonetheless, it'll be interesting. So um, we'll be back here. Um, we got 10 seconds, and I'll fill that up so I can get you started on something. But when we come back, let's do talk about all those different aspects of what the program is going to be about. So let's go to break. We'll be right back. Getting into underground utility location? If so, you'll want to know about the Schoenstatt Instrument Company's MPC kit, a multi-purpose combo for locating both ferrous objects and underground pipes and cables. And because it consists of two instruments in one package, it qualifies for trade-in allowances on two locators, any kind, any make, any condition. Contact your dealer for details or visit www.shonstat.com. That's S-C-H-O-N-S-T-E-D-T dot com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Before we went to break, we began to talk about the the program a bit, and I was asking uh, Denny and John during the break about registration, so maybe we should spend a minute or so talking about that and let people know how to register because this this event has already drawn um, a fairly good number of people. There's still some room for at least some of the activities. So is all the information the best way for people to get it, to go to the Historical Society's website, guys? Is that the best way for them to find that information? Yeah, that's uh, basically the best way. If you go to the Surveyor's Historical Society, get on the website, and uh, it'll pop up with rendezvous, and it'll say for Bellingham 2015, hit that. 
and uh, the program will be there, and the registration will be there. The uh, and that's that's surveyorshistoricalsociety.com is that website. So hopefully our listeners will take advantage of that and uh, find out uh, what activities are still available. Because as I said, I know some of them are beginning to fill up. So I don't know who wants to take the first lead on this, but uh, talk to us about. I guess sort of the underlying theme of all of this, that there are a lot of activities and they're all tied together, but maybe fill our audience in on sort of the, the underlying overall theme. Yeah, I can start out, I guess, is that, you know, the theme, again, is surveys and surveyors in the Salish Sea, and uh, the Salish Sea actually compromises the, uh, or comprises the uh, San Juan Islands, but everything basically in Puget Sound, uh, out uh, the Straits, uh, of uh, Georgia up to the Strait of Georgia and Johnson Straits, which separates Vancouver Island from uh, uh, British Columbia or the mainland, excuse me, uh, and then the uh, Straits of Juan de Fuca. So it's quite a large area, and it has a really interesting history of, uh, of exploration. And I'm of the mind, Kurt, that uh, a lot of the early sea explorers were practicing surveying. Uh, a lot of them... Um, any time that you locate, that's what we do. Surveyors locate, and they were locating all of these features. Um, this goes to you know Captain Vancouver, uh, Captain Cook. Uh, we have a speaker, by the way, on how uh, Cook uh, navigated and surveyed. Um, actually, we have a lot of speakers on on the U.S. Coast Survey and, and basically the history of the of the surveys in the area. But you know, I was of the mind that that a lot of these sea captains were, uh, even the English and Russian uh, and Spanish, were all trained uh, as surveyors because that was their job as midshipmen, you know, before they became captains. So we have a, just a lot of, of uh, survey background and, uh, you know, that we have an in in that exploration stage. And then we wanted to uh, focus on the history of the international boundaries of the um, there's not a lot written, uh, and I've done a lot of research on it, and uh, there's never been a, really a book written. Uh, there's not a documentary or anything that, uh, everything that, that I've had to grab is, is basically you know, from the National Archives and reading the diaries and things like that of the, the various surveyors. Um, the uh, thing that we would note, or I would note, uh, having worked in the Midwest, and of course, knowing a lot of people from the East Coast, everything was all pretty well said and done uh, to the Mississippi River uh, in the first part of the 1800s. And uh, it was uh, 1841 when the United States, quote-unquote, officially had somebody come and uh, come through the islands and that was the uh, Wilkes Voyage, and uh, mapped uh, the islands and also renamed them all, but uh, which didn't stick. So it's later, uh, thinking eight, eighteen forty-one. Well, everything was settled, and uh, the um, the the situation with the boundary. Uh, between the United States and Great Britain came up uh, shortly after that, uh, 
The pig war was an incident that uh, triggered the uh, final resolve because the uh, treaty, uh, the wording was uh, uh, for the boundary was along the uh, parallel and to the Strait of Georgia and then through the uh, main channel southerly and westerly to the Pacific Ocean, basically around Vancouver Island. And uh, it wasn't definite as to what channel, because there's two of them. There's uh, Arrow Strait and Rosario Strait that go on both sides of the island, and that was uh, a 12-year arbitration. Uh, 1872 is when they uh, finally... Uh, the Kaiser of Germany uh, arbitrated and uh, drew the the boundary where it is today. So uh, that was what was going on, but it was rather different in, uh, than uh, a lot of the uh, external boundaries of the United States have uh, been accomplished. You know, I think uh, pretty much everybody relates to the development of the country and the things that were going on with the British and the French and the Spanish, and, of course, that's what we think about back here on the East Coast. Um, but you're, you're mentioning uh, the Russians and, and others uh, being involved, and I guess from a historical perspective, growing up where I did, I don't remember hearing a lot about that. But is, I guess I'm just curious about all of that participation. Well, the the Russians uh, had an you know incredibly uh, complicated uh, network, a fur trading post, and of course that's what drove almost all the early interest in our area was the fur trade, whether or not it was beaver uh, on land or sea otter in in the on the, the salt water, and so that's what drove a lot of the uh, the exploration and interest. Uh, as a matter of fact, the early American interests, as like John said, our first official exploration was uh, 1841. But prior to that, uh, all the other exploration was done for uh, commerce. Uh, the, there was hardly, there wasn't any government-sponsored expeditions seawise. Uh, uh, to contrast what the Spanish did and what the Russians did and what the English, and we do forget about the Spanish. Uh, they had a tremendous influence in a very, they were actually the earliest explorers of uh, our area. The Russians, I don't know, a lot of people don't realize, Kurt, but they actually had a fur trade post all the way down into California. Um, and again, they were mostly interested in the commercial aspects uh, of the exploration, and that is, you know, where, where they could get the sea otter. But they did, they had quite a, a matter of fact, they even had a post in Hawaii. For trading boats. Wow, that that's pretty amazing, and the fact that in in the the land itself, the west coast of the U.S. and the western part of the country, um, I, I guess one would think from from today's perspective, as we look at at uh, our country and different countries, it's kind of hard to even think that someone would would come all that way simply for the, for uh, uh, trapping or, or fishing or, or the, the types of things they were harvesting without ever thinking about the land itself. That, that's pretty interesting. 
but I, I guess was, they I'm didn't. Continually amazed at how the fur trade drove. Um, you know, I was kind of new to this about maybe five, eight years ago, and uh, pretty ignorant of, of the beaver, the importance of the beaver trade. And of course, David Thompson reminded me of the. Basically, if it wasn't for beaver, we wouldn't have been explored uh, the West Coast for a long time. And just more recently, I was I grew more appreciative of the fa- of the sea otter uh, trade. If it wasn't for the sea otter, there wouldn't have been a lot of interest uh, on the West Coast here. And the the practical use for the sea otter was what exactly the the pelts? Yes, they were huge in China. Uh, almost all the sea otter pelts went to uh, China, and of course, all most of the beaver went to uh, Europe, specifically England, but in France. But beaver went to Europe, but almost all the sea otter pelts went to uh, China. Huge market. And it was pretty lucrative because they could take the sea otter uh, pelts to China and then come back with silks and spices. They could make it a, uh, they could make the journey pay both ways. Oh, I see. Yeah. Now, are we are we talking in that era of sailing ships? Yes, yeah. definitely. The wow. uh, the, re- the reason the Spanish got involved this far north, they basically are in California, but the uh, Spanish, of course, were sailing China back through the Hawaiian Islands, and their first landfall, uh, returning in the, that'd be in the 1700s, would be. Uh, normally up around Vancouver Island on, the, on their west coast. And it was worth your life to make that trip. Um, and a lot of crews would uh, show up on Vancouver Island with half the crew down. So the Spanish uh, established a post uh, at Nootka just so that ships could come in and get water and food, and then it was an, another four or five days sailing south to get down to uh, the main ports in California and Mexico. So, and that, and the San Juan Islands, and the, the which now known as the Salish uh, Sea, weren't even known about until about 1791 because nobody come, came on the inside of Vancouver Island. Everybody was on the outside. Just so moving up and uh, down the coast, huh? Yeah, they, they were out, and of course, Spanish ships uh, were so, so large, they stayed out quite a ways because they were hard to control. Yeah, and, just, and very quickly, the Seattle trade started with Captain Cook in his second voyage, uh, where he had uh, taken aboard some sea otter pelts and then discovered, and then on his stop back, on his way back to England, stopped at China, and they were just went crazy over it. So the, actually, the sea otter trade started with the uh, Captain Cook's uh, second voyage. That was 1773 or something like that. John, you just, you just said an interesting thing, and we're a minute or two from break, or a minute, about a minute from break. When you talked about the the ships being too large to come in, um, so obviously they they kept them out. Now, did they use smaller vessels off of that for some of their trapping, or? Well, in the, the sea otters uh, trade coming around, yeah, they, they were uh, smaller, which were a lot of English ships, uh, some of the Spanish ships, of course, and the Americans got involved in it to some extent, too. But the big galleons that they went to China with were more offshore. 
because uh, they're hard to handle. But then they oh. did come inside, yes. Well, we're 10 seconds from break, so maybe we can pick up on that when we come back. And I want to talk to you about sequencing of all your activities and how that relates to the, the historical sequencing of how things occurred. But let's go to break. We'll be right back. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. My name is Dr. Jeff Terry from Mobile, Alabama. I love taking care of my patients and not computers. That is why I need your help. On October 1st, the government will mandate that I implement the new ICD-10 coding system, and if not able to do so, then I will be put out of business and my patients will have to find a new physician. Please call and write your congressmen and senators today and tell them no to ICD-10. Tell them physicians need a grace period in order to concentrate on you, the patient, and not the computer. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Seanstead Instrument Company has been making locating easier since 1953. First, with its yellow stick, the GA52CX, the industry standard for sensitivity. Then, the GA72CD, a shorter and more rugged version offering a magnetic polarity display and a battery and sensitivity indicator. And, most recently, the GA92XT, built for portability. It retracts to fit in its holster and extends for one-handed operation and fingertip control. See them all at Seanstedt.com. That's S-C-H-O-N-S-T-E-D-T dot com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Continuing our conversation with John Talaker and Danny DeMeyer about the upcoming rendezvous and the, the surveys and surveyors of the Salish Sea We've been talking about a, a lot of different things. You guys were talking on break. That's something that was of interest to me. And uh, one of you made the statement about the importance of the sea otter and, and beaver trade to Western development and how it was so different from, from the East Coast. And I had mentioned uh, to both of them when we started break that you know, we East Coasters don't ever grasp really how all of that occurred or why. Or uh, Of course, I guess in today's world, people don't think about how anything happened. <laughs> It's today, and nothing mattered before that, it seems. But being history buffs, as we surveyors are, um, uh, we we are interested in these kind of things. And, and I'm sure that your uh, tendencies toward being surveyors probably sparked your interest in a lot of, of this stuff as well. Well, we, um, of course, have always been to a more or less extent, like all surveyors involved in uh, history, is to, you know, as in following footsteps and things of that nature. But it's really unique, uh, more so uh, across the country 
because very few people know about this area, and of course everybody figures it rains all the time in Seattle. Well, we in the islands get less than uh, half the amount of rain that Seattle gets, um, about 20 inches a year, and we got, we're way under this year. We've been warm and hot. But uh, it's different from that aspect, yet we have enough that's always green, give or take our lawns, which is fine. You don't have to mow as much. <laughs> but uh, it's a real unique area. And uh, the San Juans uh, are basically places for people to go and see continuously uh, are in the top ten in the United States and this year they even hit it in the world. So it's a great place to come. And if you go on the uh, Surveyors Historical Society website, uh, we put together a whole page of things that you can do besides come to the rendezvous and uh, in Bellingham and up to the islands, but in the Pacific Northwest, to take a little extra time as long as you're here, see it all, and uh, a good chunk of it because it is very, very di- diversified. Well, I can say for a fact, John, after all these years, and we're talking back probably early to mid-'80s, my first time coming to visit you guys out there, uh, those trips are still among my favorites of all time. Um, just just an amazing place. Well, after being here for since about 1960, 61, uh, people have asked, when you retire, where are you going to go? And just happy to stay right here because we got people just dying to get up here. Yeah, that's true. By the way, Denny, you haven't, you haven't told our audience um, how far away you actually are in calling in today. Oh, that's I'm in. Uh, I'm on a cell phone in one of my surveyor friends' house in uh, Cranbrook, British Columbia. So we're uh, my wife and I are up here helping some Alberta and British Columbia land surveyors work on an old surveyor's uh, house and office in a historical town. Uh, this is our fifth year, and our grand opening is this Saturday. And so we've done this for like this is our fifth year. My wife and I have helped out, but yes, I want to thank John Armstrong. I'm a shameless name dropper here, but John Armstrong <laughs> opening his home and uh, offering me a cell phone in uh, Cranbrook, British Columbia. Well, we're glad you were able to get to a spot where you could uh, could communicate with us today. It's always great to have you on the show, and specifically uh, talking about this this program that's coming up. One of the things I was curious well, before I get into that question, let me go back. Both of you at some point in time mentioned the pig war, but I'm not sure our audience really knows what that was. Well, basically what happened is uh, the uh, boundary between, the water boundary particularly, um, between the United States and Great Britain was in question for any number of years in the uh, 1850s. And uh, the Hudson Bay Company uh, had a, uh, basically uh, was hand-in-hand with the uh, Britain in yeah. 
And welcome back to America's Web Radio and the NSPS Hour. I'm sorry we had some technical difficulties with our conference line, but we've got Kurt back on the air and his guests. So, Kurt, I'll turn it back over to you. Thanks, David. Sorry about the interruption there, folks. And, Danny, glad you're back with me. Hope John can come back and join us, too. Um, he was talking when all of a sudden I went away and I didn't hear him anymore. Um, so I'm not sure what happened, but I'm, I'm glad to have you back with me, Denny. Um, one of the things that I was starting to talk about there, uh, or I guess John was actually talking about, was the pig war itself. Um, so maybe you can talk about that a little bit. But I do want to get into the sequencing of the program, at, at least in our last session. Okay. Well, quickly, the pig war, I don't want to walk over what John was saying, but the uh, the Treaty of 1846 established the 49th parallel uh, to the uh, as the international boundary from the Rockies to the Gulf of Georgia and then down the main channel to the Pacific Ocean. Um, they didn't appoint uh, a, the, the surveyors to survey that, the British and American commissions, until uh, 1857. Uh, well, one of the first things they did, the Americans, British, was attempt to establish that boundary, and it, uh, they disagreed. So uh, the, it was a joint occupation on San Juan Island, which was affected, obviously, by what channel you were picking. And there was a, uh, a pig shot by an American, a British pig was shot mm-hmm. by an American settler. And the uh, British wanted to try the gentleman uh, under British law, and the Americans said, no, that wasn't going to happen. So that started a, um, a 12-year saga, if you will, or, or treaty negotiations, uh, but that's what started it anyway, was the shooting of a pig, and it's, it's pretty famous over here. Uh, it's called the Pig War. Yeah, I think and I heard John result. come back in just now. I did. A seagull must have roosted up on the uh, transfer. <laughs> Actually, uh, it, it wasn't your issue. All of us went away there for a while. Whoa, okay. <laughs> so... Glad to have you back too, John. And, and I wasn't sure if you were going to get back, so I was talking with Danny about the the pig war because you had both mentioned it earlier, and I thought that was an interesting uh, an interesting topic. And I think there may seem to me I had somebody on the show once from somewhere in the Midwest where they had a pig war for some reason or other. I, I don't know if there, it was, for the it was actually on the East Coast is, uh, is where it occurred. I've been told about it, and I think it may have been in Maine. Yeah, maybe so. I, I don't recall either. I just remember that name before, and that's why one of the reasons it intrigued me when you guys mentioned it was that there was uh, apparently the people were fighting over pigs on both borders or on both coasts of the country. So kind of kind of interesting. But um, we have a, a minute and a half or so left in this segment. And again, I apologize to the audience that that uh, we lost you there for a while. Um, yeah, I was looking at. Uh, one of the diagrams, Danny, that you sent, that finding history on the Susha Island mm-hmm. with with all the pictures, that was that was pretty interesting. And maybe you can begin talking about that. We have a minute left before the break and we can come back and pick up on that if you'd like. But I found that map to be very, very interesting. Okay, well we were trying to uh, in twenty thirteen the Surveyors Historical Society Rendezvous was in Philadelphia and Chaz Langland, uh, a long-time SHS member, had started uh, something there that we we left something behind uh, on the ground to educate the public. He had three different projects in that Philadelphia area surrounding the Mason-Dixon line. And I uh, I took that home, my wife and I, and said, you know, we want to do something 
other than just getting together and educate ourselves. Let's leave something on the ground for the public. So that's another focus uh, of this rendezvous. Leave yeah, that's really on. interesting. And that, when we get back from break, maybe you can talk about that a little bit because it uh, looks like you've picked out some, some points that exist, and I don't know if you're going to be setting new ones or whatever. But let's go to our final break, and we'll be back um, and come come back shortly. Want to know if your Shonstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Shonstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. As surveyors are wont to do, we ramble from time to time and get on uh, tangent points. But I want to spend this last segment with with Danny and John talking about the program itself and the speakers who are going to be coming to the rendezvous. I think we've had a good discussion about background. So uh, maybe, Denny, you want to start off and and get into the, the program itself. Well, sure. Uh, this, uh, our rendezvous is going to be a little bit different, uh, and that's a little longer than some of the rendezvous have been in the past. It's uh, three full days uh, with an option on a fourth. It starts out Wednesday as a pretty informal day where people fly in, and um, there'll be a welcoming uh, uh, orientation for the, the folks, and then our annual SHS annual membership meeting will be uh, that evening. The, the program actually starts Thursday, um, and uh, the first speaker is uh, really happy, by the way, with the quality of speakers that we've got. Uh, very, very happy with the people that uh, we've ended up with. Uh, Michael Leyland is a retired royal engineer, uh, lives in, he's a British citizen and a Canadian citizen, uh, will be speaking about early maritime surveyors and explorers, they would see. And then we've got a real treat. Uh, some of you may know John Brock, who's a surveyor from Australia, uh, and he'll be talking about uh, Captain James Cook, who was a surveyor, and uh, how did the great explorer and others think his measure. Uh, John Brock is always a treat uh, to listen to, real funny. and He's, got he's a fun guy. Oh, boy. Yeah. And then uh, he's going to be followed by uh, another dynamite speaker, uh, Captain Burge from uh, NOAA, who's a successor to the U.S. Coast Survey and U.S. Coast and Sea Geodetic Survey. Uh, some folks may know, recognize Skip from uh, his articles that he writes on uh, in the American Surveyor Magazine. And he's also the um, he's written the history of the Coast Survey, uh, and he's 
in charge of the uh, the website, the NOAA website for the history uh, of the coast and coast geogenic and NOAA. And he'll be speaking about uh, survey, you know, how the uh, U.S. coast and U.S. coast and geodetic performed their surveys in the Gulf and San Juan Islands. Um, and then he'll be followed by uh, Don Erickson, who's uh, with the it's a reenactment group of the U.S. topographical engineers. And he'll be talking about practical astronomy, celestial surveying, and navigation. Basically, Kurt, uh, practical astronomy was an early definition of surveying. Uh, uh, you know, it, well, basically, the early surveyors that didn't have any geodetic or land-based uh, con- monument control, everything was celestial. So, uh, almost all the surveying was done by the sun, moon, and stars, and uh, some of the navigational planets. Uh, but Don is, is uh, he spons- He actually teaches classes uh, on uh, yearly, every year. He's a, a, one of the few experts on what's called the Zenith Telescope uh, and a Meridian Transit. So pretty pleased to have him and his wife come from uh, Colorado. Um, then it's going to, we're going to go into the evolution of the Oregon Territories in the international boundary. That'll be by myself. Um and the evolution of the Oregon Territory is fascinating. Uh, the, the different treaty nego- or the different negotiations between Britain and the United States over who was going to end up with the Pacific Northwest. Um, basically, every we came very close. Uh, everybody north and west of the Columbia River may have ended up in British Columbia. That was what the uh, the British wanted for almost thirty years, and the Americans. Uh, always wanted the 49th parallel, but it's pretty fascinating to trace the, the mapping and the negotiations uh, of how the international boundary actually did come about. Um, okay, and then we're going to go into the actual survey of the international boundary, uh, the water portion. Uh, Tim Kent and I will be speaking about that. Um, start off with the pig war, and by the way, that's our dinner speaker Thursday night will be an author on the pig war. And he's the, uh, John, could you get a little background on Michael Worry? Uh, yeah, Mike is he has basically uh, superintendent of American Camp. And he uh, does a reenactment uh, of George Pickett and has in the past, and I don't believe he's going to be doing it anymore. That is absolutely. Astounding, but he's written a book in the Pig War. He's written a couple of other ones, but he's an expert, and he'll be very entertaining. Uh, plus, uh, expound on the uh, the whole situation that after dinner on Thursday evening. I think the other thing that we'd want to uh, bring out too that on uh, Thursday there is a spouses program. Is uh, when you look at the program, you'll see that we have a whole bunch of technical uh, sessions. And we know that some of the uh, uh, significant others are going to want to make the trip if uh, the surveyors are going to be coming. And so there's a program set up for all day Thursday and, of course, Friday. Everybody will be coming to the island. And uh, I'll pitch it right now, and that is the cost of this will amaze you. We're basically doing all the meals uh, for uh, three days plus the activities are under $300 here on uh, early bird registration, which is good for uh, about 10 days, two weeks yet. Yeah, and folks can uh, 
if they click on the SHS or surveyorshistoricalsociety.com in the 2015 rendezvous, there's quite a extensive program listing, and it lists the guest and spouse program for Thursday, and uh, both John's wife, my wife and John's has really put a lot of uh, work into this uh, spouse's program, and I'm sure it'll be a really enjoyable time, for sure. That wraps up Thursday activities. Quickly going on to Friday, John had already went over uh, Friday, uh, bright and early, we board a ferry for San Juan Island, and we'll spend the entire day on San Juan. Um, touring the English and American camps, the uh, both following the pig war, or the the pig war, the shooting of the pig, the Americans and British both set up camps. It's Twelve years there, um, and then we're going to have a hopefully weather permitting. We'll have a wonderful picnic uh, on the beach, uh, followed by a solar seminar, uh, mini solar seminar. Presentation by Tim Kent, and then a real treat would be to uh, visit John Thaliger's home and uh, take a look at his incredible uh, uh, collection of old survey instruments. That'll be a real treat. And then there's going to be that uh, dinner at a, the senior center on Friday, Friday afternoon, um, where most anybody. That's got any taste buds will order the ham, but if the other people. <laughs> and then Saturday, I'll probably have to move this pretty quick. Saturday, we've got um, it'll be lectures in the morning on the international boundary, the land portion of the international boundary survey, and then the uh, with a field trip to the afternoon to Peace Arch State Park, um, where we'll uh, have the international boundary commissioners. Uh, both in attendance, and we'll dedicate an informational kiosk uh, at Seasart State Park on the history of the international boundary and a little bit on the evolution of the Oregon Territory. There'll be like four or five panels um, that we've been uh, working on that'll help educate the public. Um, and then Saturday night, a uh, real treat would be that the, our keynote speakers are the... Um, both the United States and the Can- Canadian Boundary Commissioners, uh, Kyle Hipsley for the U.S. and Peter Sullivan for the uh, for Canada or out of Ottawa. Uh, Peter's also the Surveyor General for Canada Lands of uh, in Canada. So that's really a uh, to me a real boon that we were able to attract both the U.S. and Canadian Boundary Commissioners. Sunday uh, is an optional field trip to Susha Island. Uh, Marine Park, which is in the San Juans. Uh, we've chartered a, a boat limited to only 43 people, and we've filled that up. There is no, there's no more room on that. Uh, where we'll actually be visiting um, Susha Island and seeing all of the. Um, you had alluded to early, uh, earlier, uh, Kurt, about all the, the monuments, uh, different types of uh, monuments that are on the island. And yeah, there was uh, there's U.S. Coast Survey and Coast and Geodetic Triangulation Stations. Uh, there's mineral surveys uh, on the island and monuments. There's Lighthouse Reserve monuments. A lot of General Land Office uh, monuments. So there's actually three or four, actually four or five different surveys. Um, uh, and Susha Island is unique because it is probably the only, the only island uh, in the San Juans, or Gulf Islands as far as that goes, 
uh, that has uh, just this assortment of monuments. Back in the 90s, my wife and I, uh, when I had a boat before my wife made me sell it, uh, we would we spent a lot of time on uh, Susha and recovering a lot of these monuments. So a lot of them are already found, but quite a few of them are yet to be found. So that's part of the treat, uh, is to give people a list of some of the, the monuments that are out there. In that's the, certainly quite an extensive program. I want to give you some time. We've got a minute and a half left, or yeah. maybe two minutes. Yeah, you want to talk about your benefactor, so... Foot informational panel um, on the surveys and surveyors of Susha Island. So uh, we're, I don't know, we're really trying to take advantage of the rendezvous to promote our profession, but also to educate the public. And, you know, I think, again, we want to uh, carry on the tradition started by the Philadelphia 2013 rendezvous. Uh, Are you hearing me okay, Denny? Yes. Okay. You had mentioned that you you had a, a, a particular benefactor, and I want to give you some time to talk about that. Oh, well, yeah, another thing that uh, the Philadelphia rendezvous uh, did was uh, try to encourage sponsors. So uh, John and I and Tim went to the various uh, local chapters of the Land Surveyors Association of Washington, and the response is just overwhelming. Uh, so I do want to thank the Snohomish chapter, the uh, North Puget Sound chapter, the Lower Columbia chapter, and the Southwest chapter. Hope I didn't leave anybody out um, for their donations, um, and also some private uh, donations from uh, a private company, Northwest Surveying and GPS in Linden, and then the North American Land Surveyors, which which was our David Thompson Columbia Brigade canoe team, uh, Kurt, in 2011. We had attracted quite a few sponsors to pay for that that new trip. We had money left over, and so the, uh, they decided to donate also to this. Uh, and I also want to thank Melinda. Go ahead. I just want to thank Melinda Gilpin, our executive uh, director for this Surveyors Historical Society. Uh, Kurt, she's just been outstanding. You know, we can't do this, obviously, without all the committee members' help, but, you know, other help. And uh, I just can't. It's been the, one of the more rewarding uh, facets of hosting this rendezvous is to see the, the amount of sponsors, the willingness of the sponsors to step up and uh, donate money to help defray some of these expenses. Well, that's great. Well, I've got 10 seconds to thank you both for being with me today. It's been a great show, and I'm sorry we had the interruption, but I know our audience has enjoyed it, and I always enjoy talking to you guys. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Thanks for having us.